The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host, and I am joined by Katie Gross today, who is the Chief Customer Officer at Suzy. Welcome, Katie. Thanks, Seema. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm so excited for you to be here. I mean, there is so much discussion about Suzy and what they're doing in the marketplace. But before we get there, I want to spend a little time about just understanding your journey, like you have had such an amazing career. You've held a position that not many, I hate to say this, but not many women have in our industry. So just give us a little bit of background in terms of, you know, your, I want to say humble beginnings, because I feel like you share that with me, but your humble beginnings and your journey to this point thus far. Yeah, they were fairly humble beginnings. So I grew up in Plymouth in England in government housing. My dad was in the Navy. My mom didn't really work and there were four of us. So there was a lot of children in the household. So very humble beginnings. Went to um, a couple of inner city state schools in the UK. But I was very lucky that my mom always pushed education. So she always said, this is your way out, education, education. If I got B's on my report card, she was not happy. So <laughs> she wanted us to have everything that she didn't have. You know, she left, they both left school at 16 and, uh, and she paved the way for us really by just enforcing education as being so important. I was not the first in my family to go to, ed- to higher education. My sister was, uh, I have an older sister, but she was the first of all of our cousins, siblings to go to university. Lucky to follow in her footsteps, she showed me the way. And then my brothers also attended university, which was great. That is amazing because it's hard to break that cycle. It is, yeah. Uh, particularly because most of my high school friends wanted to leave school and they wanted to get jobs. And um, I actually remember saying to my mom, I think I may have been in year two or three at university and it was the late nineties. So they were all buying their first cell phones and they, cause they had jobs and they were starting to buy cars. And I'm like, I want those things. I don't want to have this student debt. And she just said, Kofi, hang on in there. It's important. And uh, it's important that you stay focused on your education. So I'm glad I did. Thank goodness for your mom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. To have the fortitude. I mean, I do think actually when I see it today, even when kids get a taste of money, you know, even before they finish college, it can be dangerous to a certain degree, right? Because you want to like, if I can do this now, I can do it for the next 10 years. But, you know, education, I believe is so much more than just money. It's about your mind and really being challenged and meeting new people and building a network. Yeah. Seema, you you raised a good point. It's about meeting new people. I met so many people from different cities, different walks of life who, you know, and you are the average of the people around you, I guess is that that phrase? For sure, yes. And suddenly I was, you know, surrounded by incredibly smart, very ambitious people I just had not really been exposed to in the past. And suddenly their parents were involved in my life as well as I, you know, 
plumbers, went to stay at their houses and so on. So it really kind of like opened up my eyes to, to what could possibly be in, in the future. And again, I'm very lucky. To, my sister was six years ahead of me. She moved to London and got a corporate job. And suddenly I saw a whole different world that I didn't grow up with. Yes. That's amazing. So tell me, how did you get into the space? Yeah, so part accident, but part by choice. I studied psychology with uh, criminal justice at university. And the only skill set I came out with was SPSS. (laughs) That's that's a good skill, actually. Not many people have it. Yep, it's a good skill, pretty good with numbers. So I joined a um, a food and beverage company in the UK that primarily dealt with um, Italian private label products into the UK grocery stores. So I was buying Mintel reports, IRI data, Nielsen data, attending face-to-face focus groups, doing mall intercepts, et cetera, to pull together the market research stories for the sales team to help support them on retailer meetings. And I would often attend those meetings to present with the sales team, which was awesome and, and really fun. Yeah. Ended up working, I moved to London at that point and worked for Mintel on their consultancy team, again, initially as a researcher and I remember the head of sales saying, we'd love you to move into a sales role. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, to your point, it was all very male heavy, pinstripe suits, big sunglasses, driving in their company Audi A3s. And I'm like, That's just, I don't see myself. So I don't know what that would look like for me because I don't see it in the, the people in the team already. You couldn't model yourself against somebody who was already there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I said, well, let's give it a go. And moved into sales role and loved it from day one. My first client meeting was a the UK's equivalent to 7-Eleven, a store called Spar. And I, what I realized is that actually sales is about asking what they currently do, how they currently do it, tell me more about those challenges. I was genuinely curious, having come from a role similar to theirs at the food and beverage company, genuinely curious as to what they were using and how they were doing it. And Therefore, it became really easy for me to say, well, actually, I have a solution for you that can really help elevate that role that you have, help you do that faster, help you do that in a more educated way, make better decisions. And once I realized that that is what sales really is, the happy byproduct of the contracts and the revenue was a happy byproduct of genuinely helping companies. That's fantastic. And so once you got into sales, that first foray, Mm -hmm. have you been consistently in sales? Yeah, I have. Um, Although I always, I'd say those first, Four to five years, for some reason, I didn't value it well enough. And maybe it's a British to American thing. It, it was, we are different <laughs> creatures. Yes. British people are very humble and so on. And nobody really wants to say you work in sales in the UK. Yeah. So I just thought to myself, well, I'll just be in sales while I earn enough to pay off some student debt. And then I'll just be in sales long enough to buy, to put a deposit down on a house. And then I'll just be in sales long enough to get the new kitchen done. <laughs> continued on and on until I kind of realized, oh my God, I love being in sales. Yeah, yeah. Great. And at the time, sales in, in most companies at the time um, was a hybrid of, of both selling new companies and renewing the clients that you work with and onboarding those clients that you work with. So you're kind of full 360 with your clients. That has obviously since kind of separated off into sales and customer success at most companies. So it kind of felt like a natural fit that throughout the, my journey, I've manage both sales and customer success teams um, in combination. And what do you like about managing? I mean, it's very different when you're an individual contributor versus a sales leader. What do you enjoy about that? Yeah, I really love seeing the people beneath me progress. So when they come in to, well, even the interview stage, kind of you can see the raw material that you're working with. It's being part of that 
shaping and that molding and watching them succeed nothing makes you prouder than watching one of my one of the girls in my sales team mental in the usa when i first moved she wanted a really expensive wedding dress and we did the math we said okay what's it gonna take to get you there what do you have to sell what do you have to close what close rate do you need how many emails are we sending today to get you the wedding dress of your drinks oh wow that's kind of fun yeah today i have a person that just moved into their first apartment on their own no longer have roommates and you know, and it's so nice to be part of that journey that really molded them to help them unlock their own things in their own personal life, but also to help them grow professionally also. I'm lucky at Susie, I work with, I think maybe six or seven people that I've worked with over the last 10 years in the USA. And I've been able to bring them here and to, you know, to watch them grow and start to manage their own teams as well has been you know, a real joy. That's amazing. Actually, let's backtrack a little bit. How did you come to the US market? With Mintel. So yeah, they were opening up a um, splitting beauty and personal care off from the rest of TPG and food and beverage. Okay. They asked me to move to the USA. And it was funny because I just, I remember just going to the embassy and thinking, all right, I'll see if this visa gets approved or not. And it got approved on the spot and they said, here's your five-year visa. <laughs> and I just remember walking out of there. You're like, I guess I'm going. <laughs> guess I'm going to America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was almost 10 years ago. So it was 10 years ago in December. That's amazing. And where do you consider home? Oh, that's tricky because the first two years were Chicago, then New York, now New Jersey. And even in the UK, it was Plymouth and Exeter, then London. I don't know, actually. So you're a citizen of the globe, let's say. Yeah, I didn't want to be like cliche, but... Yeah, home is where your heart is. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand that. I get that. And so tell me, what do you think it takes for a woman to be in your position? Like what are the, and you know, we've talked about this a wire exec. I mean, there's things that, you know, are just different for women in terms of progressing career, even kind of the way we might advocate for ourselves. But what do you think the secret has been for you? I would say in part, I try not to think about the noise too much and the blockers and Yes, I hear sexist comments. And yes, I definitely have heard males talk about women who are on maternity leave saying they might not come back or she might not be able to handle that type of role. And I've tried to block out that noise. I'm like, that's not me. I can't argue every argument. What I can do is pass it forward and make sure that people that are around me don't have to think about that when it comes to being in my team and other teams. And I, I love our community because I actually saw recently on LinkedIn, somebody had asked, name the top sellers you work with in your industry. And a person in our industry named six males. And, uh, and lovely Callista from Fuel Cycle said, there's also a lot of females. <laughs> like, <right. laughs> Thank you, Callista. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At Susie, we have a, a women at Susie group. And when Lisa Wilding Brown was recently promoted to CEO, I posted that straight onto our women in, in the Women at Susie Slack channel and said, you know, this is fantastic. Everybody look at what she's been able to achieve. She also took a non-traditional route by like going through kind of research rather than through commercial roles. And we should all celebrate this together. This is a win for us today in our industry. I totally agree. I mean, I think the one thing that I really value is that regardless of where you are, what company you are, competition, we do celebrate each other. It doesn't matter, right? Like Lisa's a perfect example. You're a perfect example. Like it's fantastic regardless of where, you know, competitively where we each are in the ecosystem, we all support each other, which I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Is. And I definitely don't want, you know, my gender to be 
a PR story. I just want to be a really strong leader for both males and females and happen to be female. In the same way that I mentioned when I was you know, 23, 24, moving into a sales role, I couldn't see it. So I couldn't see it for myself. So I probably would never have applied for it had my manager not asked me to. And I want to just be that role that's there to show it. It's, I'm here. So everybody else, else can kind of see it. Actually, our chief HR officer, Anthony at Susie, has written a book called Ella the Engineer. It's a kid's book all about a female engineer because he talks about in the 90s when Ali McBeal was on TV, the number of females that applied to law school shot through the roof. Again, because they could see it for the first time, they could see it. And so it wasn't about her gender. She's a female lawyer. It was just about her. And she happened to be a lawyer. And I really hope that, you know, that it's not about my gender. I happen to be a chief customer officer. And I hope that just, you know, by nature. Inspires others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about Susie. You guys raised a lot of capital. I know last time we spoke, you said you, I can't remember, like 50 plus open hires. Yeah. You guys are onto something. Tell me a little bit about where Susie is and what pain point they're serving. Yeah. So Susie, actually, funnily enough, I first saw in October 2018. Obviously, I worked in the panel industry and uh, had tried to sell to Susie <laughs> respondents. And what made Susie quite different, or what does make Susie quite different, is that we own our own panel. So really what the challenge we're trying to solve for is that there is a very fragmented market research toolkit out there. There are qualitative tools, there are quantitative tools, there are panel tools, you know, all of them with DIY options, etc. And what we're trying to do is really eradicate the need for overlapping technologies and bring that into one place. So we have quantitative tools, survey templates, qualitative individual um, IDIs or focus groups. We have our own panel connected straight into that platform. So you can seamlessly run qual, quant with the same respondents. If you wanted to really iterate with the same kind of mini community within our community, we have in-home usage testing. So IHUTS as a solution. And we have a a team that is a lot of that kind of X Nielsen, Kantar, Ipsos, et cetera, who can run advanced analytics. So they act almost like an agency within Suzy, but we have our own platform. So they're still using our own platform, our own panel. So we still benefit from that speed and uh, agile approach. Is it fair to say it's one-stop shopping for brands to be in a platform that's kind of a DIY, agile platform? Exactly. Yep. It is one place where you can seamlessly run integrated qual want the panel is there you can build your own segmentation within the panels you can build mini communities or go to a nat rep audience they're all right there at your fingertips so we actually just had a client today say it's really made those big bets they used to make by either spending a ton of money and wait six weeks right. for data or they just made them from just whoever the loudest speaking person in the boardroom was they used to make decisions in those two ways and what we have done has been able to help them speed up that time to insights bring the consumer into the room and make those decisions much faster and who do you typically sell to within an organization is it still the consumer insights people are you expanding the influence of research within the brands yeah definitely expanding the influence so it started really as a three years ago as a very easy tool to use multiple choice questions, open-ended questions, you know, very basic needs. And it was actually marketing folks who were the initial users to say, well, we don't really have a budget to do research. We don't necessarily want to go to our consumer insights team. This is a really incredibly easy tool to use to get some quick feedback. Now, inevitably, the consumer insights team started getting their hands on it also and wanted 
piping and quotas and MaxDiff and, and templates and a lot of other functionality. So it's developed, the platform has developed over time, as has the number of buyers that we have at each company. So at some of our largest clients, we're working with maybe 17 different teams. Um, wow. And in 17 different ways, quite honestly, some are focused just on packaging, some are focused on merchandising in store, some are focused on, you know, claims testing, pricing testing, et cetera. So revenue management teams, to packaging teams, to R&D, to marketing, to consumer insight. Here's my question for you, Katie, is are you building a use case for research within those expanded teams or are you replacing an existing solution for research within the expanded team? Great question. So within some of those teams, they've never conducted research before. They just went with gut feel or whatever decision, yeah, or whatever decision they came out of the board meeting with. Yeah. Now, because it's a very cost-effective, very fast tool, they actually bring the tool into those meetings with them. So if they're running innovation workshops for maybe two or three hours internally, they'll literally ask Susie. So rather than think to themselves, wow, strawberry sounds like a great idea, they actually test it live on Susie while they're in those meetings. So it's been incremental kind of new use cases. And for others, it's replacing kind of more traditional market research that may have taken six to eight weeks in the past. And it's not about spending less. It's usually just the speed. It's what a lot of our clients have said. It's not about saving budget. It's about saving time. But it means that they can then those very, very large projects that should take six to eight weeks, maybe a couple of months, you know, ethnography and so on they can actually just repurpose that and really focus on those larger studies alongside the tools like ours that make them more agile in the quicker decisions. Very cool. Tell me about some of the challenges. What are some of the challenges that you face in your role? Yeah, so challenges in this particular hiring market right now, I think for the first time in almost 20 years of being in market research, we are under the spotlight. So our clients have told us they are growing a team. I spoke to a client yesterday and she has just hired 20 brand new people into her team, all in consumer insights. Our clients are telling us that the C-level um, folks at their business are coming to them and asking them, tell us what consumers are thinking and feeling and how has that changed from last week and the week before and the week before that so they can adapt much quicker. So if they're growing, we're growing, we're all kind of growing and hiring is incredibly difficult right now. We're lucky that it's no longer you have to be in New York to come to the office. We can hire right across the USA, which has been incredible. We have employees, I think, in about 22 different states now. Arizona, Texas, you name it, we have people there. So that's definitely a challenge when it comes to kind of client facing. I think we have to meet clients where they are in their adoption of digital platforms like ours. There are many who have spent their careers working with market research agency partners where they've just been able to write a brief and send it over and, and not do nothing, sorry, but you know, really focus on other things. Hand it over. Yeah. And I think what we're seeing is that there are two different types of companies we work with, some that really empower their teams on this new journey of kind of agile research where they give them the playbook and they say, you know, this is about empowering you. It's going to be a different type of responsibility in your role. It's not replacing you by any means. It's not automating your role away. It's actually automating the bits that are really cumbersome and giving you time back in your day to be creative around the business question and around the what to do next and what that solution is. So there's some companies that are really doing a fantastic job of bringing us in. We do digital boot camps. We really take them on that journey. Whereas others, we you know we're sometimes challenged where they'll buy a tool like ours and then really not quite know how to use it. How to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And not from a kind of point and click perspective, it's an incredibly intuitive platform to use, but they have never really worked in an agile way before. 
So yeah. they're often unsure as to, to say to the marketing team, you can ask us any time and we actually could get you data in a day or two. So they're just not yet there on their digital adoption. And it's, you know, it's our job to kind of meet them where they are. How do you help that end user in terms of, they know the platform's good, it's sound, I can get quick insights, but how do you move them you know, across the continuum? Yeah. So we do a lot of due diligence around kind of where they are today. Have they used other platforms? Have they come from a market research agency themselves, which many brands are hiring from MR agencies? And how comfortable are they in using a tool like us? So we do a lot of due diligence there and we take them on multiple different paths. We actually have a client implementation team dedicated to bringing new clients on. We have a lot of kind of like academy-based modules where we can help them with how to write a screener, how to set up quotas, how to write questions, how to analyze data, etc. So we try and kind of take them on that educational path rather than just hand over the keys. Yeah. But I think even as an industry as a whole, I think there's a lot of content out there. And we all we all need to do a really good job of helping companies understand that we're we're trying to help them automate and get there quicker. And it's going to, these tools are going to empower them rather than uh, take away their, their responsibilities and roles. It's exciting to be able to get research at your fingertips, but I would imagine it's not necessarily, it doesn't fit every use case in terms of a solution. I'm sure you would agree with that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. There's definitely, you know, where you need deep consultation from a category expert, for example, you still would want to go to those larger MR agencies you know, today where where we are not yet is there's obviously still a lot of purchase data out there and social listening tools and so on. And I'm sure as as the next 10 years unfold, there'll be acquisitions in our industry and so on. As we try and pull those data pieces into one place, there's so much data out there. And I think, you know, the more people that can build data APIs to bring it into Power BI or Tableau or into one place, the better. Yeah, for sure. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly always enjoy catching up with you and I look forward to catching up in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended. But your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.